Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 109 for Friday, June 3rd, 2022. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gaddy, and I'm joined by my captain. It's Captain Sabriel Mastin. Today, we are back and in Pog form. Pog? Uh, it's a very old Simpsons reference. Don't worry about it. This past week, not only did I watch the new song, The Hedgehog Movie, I also saw the new Chippendale movie, which yeah. as did you... Yeah, with, with um, Ugly Sonic or whatever it was called. Yeah, but it had pogs. <laughs> uh-huh. And that uh-huh. was a key point of the of the story. And so I wasn't sure if there were also pogs in Star Trek. Nope. There may were... have been Star Trek pogs, but uh, nope. <laughs> gotcha. But uh, anyway, we're back. We are. We are here to talk about Strange New Worlds. The first episode, the pilot episode, was reviewed on this podcast, and we are here with Sabriel making her Strange New Worlds debut to talk about Strange New Worlds season one episodes. Well, first half. Eh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we 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 may uh, skip over some of episode one just because it's already been covered on the show, but certainly episodes two through five. So that includes Children of the Comet, Ghosts of Illyria, Memento Mori, and most recently Spockamuck. Spock Emmuck. Emmuck Spock Spock Emmuck. Yes. That's clearly a, a it <laughs> is. Kind of like bulbous beluga. I feel like I'm doing hijinks with my mouth when I say Spock Emmuck. Sometimes hijinks is the most logical choice. <laughs> so yeah, we have wow. a lot to talk about. Uh Strange New Worlds. We are now halfway through the season. Uh, Sabriel, may I ask for your general impressions of this brand new Star Trek show that well, just debuted a month ago? I would like to counter that with asking you that. That's just my question. You want my opinion on the first half of the new season? Yeah, you know, I, I like to ask that. What's your very, very one word or so summary of how you feel and just in general? Promising. The same here. Love, joy, uh, so happy. Uh, I, to, to go extend that further now, I've gotten that out of the way. I love strange new worlds so so much this is wow every episode i walk away like they nailed it again wow i have loved every episode five out of five stars 95 to 100 out of 95 to 100 whatever it is wait that doesn't really make sense but you get the idea i have loved every single bit of the show so much I remember you tweeted after the first episode that you loved that Star Trek could give you reasons to be optimistic. Has that feeling continued? I love this show. Yeah, uh, yeah everything about the show. <laughs> um, uh, the dramatic Star Trek, or you know, the seasons, I mean, the, the Discovery and Picard have been very uh, dramatic, and uh, it's always been about huge galaxy-changing things, you know. And finally, we get uh, something, you know, like, like big events, but, you know, it's just, mm, I don't know how. I don't know how to put it. I mean, if you've seen the show, you know exactly what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that the pressure is off to save all of known existence. And that also gives the characters more time to have fun. I mean, there have been times when Picard or Discovery had a little bit of fun here and there. You know, I it's kind of sad that I need to keep going back to the first season of discovery when there have been so many seasons since then. And the groundhog day episode, which I think was the funniest or funnest episode of discovery. But uh, yeah, more often than not, it's pretty dour and strange new worlds, especially with the captain and nurse chapel and other characters. They're a little more lighthearted. Uh, so already in like the first episode or two of strange new worlds, I already felt like I knew the crew and you know, and then never mind that we already have a few characters who are a repeat, but like, even the new people, I feel like I, I'm a part of the crew. They are the family. They are the people I tune in to see what they're doing every week, just like the original series or next gen or anything like that. I just feel so at home with this crew and I love the hell out of this show. I like that it not being a serial show like the others also 
like apparently this hasn't happened for you yet, but it allows them the flexibility and freedom to experiment and perhaps have a bad episode. Like with Picard, if there's a bad episode, it probably means the next episode isn't going to be great either because it has to tie into it. But with Strange New Worlds, they could just go and do something completely different next week. And I'm like, okay, I'm still looking forward to this show. Uh, For me, Strange New Worlds has just shown me, because it's not that Discovery and Picard are bad in the way they present their shows. That is not what I'm trying to say. Uh, So I don't want anyone to walk away with that. Because they do their thing well. I mean, there are plenty of episodes of those shows that we have loved or enjoyed or appreciated. Um, but here, I've gotten so much out of these characters and characters that are new to this in just the few episodes they have already. Where I know their names in the first episode or two. <laughs> where we still struggle with discovery. Uh, and here we get so much personality. We've learned just what these people are like, even if we don't know their past. Where how often. Do we get that in Disco? Uh, and Picard can rely on the legacy of shows had seven years beforehand. Um, I just, they just do what they do very well. And I hope the other shows can take, do it their own way. But, you know, take some notes here that you can have compelling stories for the characters in a single episode. I will say it's almost convenient that almost every episode of Strange New Worlds so far each week ties into a different character's backstory. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, here's a comet that needs somebody to know how to sing. Cadet Ahura knows how to sing. Here's the ghost of Illyria. Oh, she's Illyrian. Here's Memento Mori. Oh, this person was attacked by the Gorn. So mm-hmm. that is a very effective way to introduce us to the characters and make them more f- well-rounded and more fully fleshed out. And that's perhaps why you feel like we get to know them so much better and quicker than on other shows. Yeah. I mean, Discovery also has a thing where it's a show about Michael Burnham. Right. Everyone else's edition. And that's, like I said, that's their thing. Um, and Picard. I mean, we knew all these characters, almost all these characters. Well, I mean, that's not really true. We had Rios is brand new. Jurati's brand new. I think just Seven and Picard. Yeah. So, but, um, but they also telling story their own way because it's about Picard more than anyone else. Everyone else is just adding to him. So those shows do their own thing. Uh, in their own way but man uh i just love the characters here so much more than new ones even though i like i love rios i love Dorati. you love I seven raffi <laughs> of course i love seven that's known <laughs> uh it's just doing some amazing things here and i'm just loving the hell out of it yeah and even for the characters that we know f- on strange new worlds from previous shows like number one we only ever really saw her in one episode dr mbenga I'll be honest, as I've said on before on this podcast, TOS is the only Star Trek I haven't seen every episode of. I don't remember ever seeing him before. Uh, Nurse Chapel, like she wasn't really an important character, in my opinion, from what I remember on TOS, was she? Uh, she was in a few episodes and then she was brought back for the films, but she never had. She was an essential part to a few, but not like the major player. Uh, and she ha- had a thing for Spock. It's basically her known thing. Okay, I was wondering. Maybe that'll add context for Spock and Muck. It does help. Thank you. I was thinking of Nurse Chapel as being as important on TOS as Nurse Ogawa was to TNG. Is Uh, that about right? That's probably not too far off. I mean, she had her own screen time here and there, but uh, in general, very in general. I mean, you're going to have someone who has varying opinion, but yeah. Got it. Thank you. May I ask if you have a favorite character on Strange New Worlds? Um, every week it's a different answer. <laughs> I thought about this actually in the past. Like every week it's a different answer. And so, uh, but I think um, if anyone who has followed my Twitter has seen, I, I have a weekly Una appreciation tweet because I love number one so much. I loved her before Disco, or excuse me, uh, Strange New Worlds started. Um, I love Rebecca Romaine as Una uh, so much. And so uh, I, I love her. I love how Rebecca plays her. I love her. Her always needing to know the answers, always having, always being ready. But it's a personal thing. Not anyone has set expectations on her. She always has the answer. And I just love how this character bounces off everyone else. And I also love her motherly type uh, relationship with La'an. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and especially like this week in Spock and Muck. 
those two playing on the Enterprise, trying to have fun. So we are not where fun dies. Uh, fun goes to die. Uh, that was so much. That was a blast. <laughs> did you see that Rebecca Romaine retweeted me? I did not. Yeah, I posted a my own little appreciation note about her. About the, how the Mystique one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she retweeted it, and the retweet got. Let me see here. Uh, 264 retweets, 5,251 likes. You got a lot of internet points. Well, of course, that's on her account. That's the (laughs) retweet. My tweet only got like 215 likes, which for me is a lot. So I don't expect everybody who follows Rebecca Romain to come back to my own little account. But yeah, I was glad that I was able to be noticed by her because she's a great actor. And I'm glad that my uh, appreciation for her was appreciated. Um. Uh, there was a great interview with the um, the one who plays uh, Artegas. I'm doing a complete blank right now, of course, because I just because of bringing up her name, I had it and tipped my tongue. But anyway, Navia. Yes, uh, she wrote an article about how she gets so into her character and quote unquote flying the ship that sometimes she will miss lines, and pe- <laughs> she's and people are like. Line. She's like, what? Quit bothering me. I'm buying a ship. <laughs> I got more important things to do. Uh, the so much fun that these people, these actors who've been showing on Twitter, uh, has been a joy to watch too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have a favorite episode so far? Every episode <laughs> as it comes out, as it comes out. Um, I think so far. Gosh, I have difficulty answering that one. Um, Momentum Mori last week's was um, a highlight. I did love La'an. Um, but like this, see, I can pull something out of each one uh, that I just loved. So uh, I don't know if I can answer that. I love them all. How about you? I would say I have two favorites. One is Memento Mori. Uh, I, I really loved the, Almost remind me of the TOS episode you and I watched, the Enterprise incident. No, no, Balance of Terror, mm-hmm. where they That's are, so yeah, it's like a submarine almost. Uh-huh. And I love them going through this nebula where they can't see each other. There's no radar uh, and no sensors, as <laughs> Vulcan would say, sensors. And yeah, I just thought that was a really tense episode, and I liked that. I liked yeah. the chances Chris took with his ship. And I liked oh. Children of the Comet. I thought it was fun. Uh, Susan Arndt pointed out to me that, of course, within the first 10 minutes, Sam Kirk is knocked out unconscious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't seen him since. Recently. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But I just thought that was a fun episode. I liked seeing Uhura find her way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked how they had to deal with the alien species that was protecting the comet. But, yeah, I, I would say those are my two favorites. I haven't gotten enough Hemmer. Yeah, I I'm sure he's going to have an episode coming up. Everybody does, but yeah, I can't get a read on him yet. Read in what way? Well, like in the very first episode, he and Spock were maybe it was the second episode. Were the ha- second? He wasn't even in the first episode. That's right. That's right. In the second episode, he and Spock were hazing Ahura, and I really couldn't tell how much of his attitude there was something he was just putting on to haze her, or if he actually was that much of a curmudgeon. After Memento Mori, I get a better sense that he is a curmudgeon, but I'm I'm still not sure how likable he is. He doesn't take to people quickly, probably intentionally for whatever reason. I got a kick out of him in Ghost of Illyria when he has uh, got the light virus and Una pops into the transporter room and she's like, what are you doing? I'm performing a miracle. He's <laughs> <laughs> beaming part of the sun or, or core into the transporter room. <laughs> yeah. I am just so so flatly. I'm performing a miracle. And he had the intelligence and brilliance to actually do that, which is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> uh Lieutenant Kyle is great too. Every episode he has like one line, and like this one he's like, he's so mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I caught that. Oh not, he's the worst. No. <laughs> now I I need you or I don't need you. I would appreciate if you would explain something I read online about him the character not the actor Mm -hmm. somebody said oh my gosh i love kyle he's my favorite twink (laughs) uh that is a gay term um 
I'm trying to be as clean as I can for this podcast. Um, softer side of gay men. Okay. I would say that. <laughs> cool. Not necessarily, but in general. Got it. Thank you. Uh-huh. Or if you play World of Warcraft, you're a low-level person in PvP. But uh... <laughs> I'm sure I could have looked that up on Urban Dictionary, but I thought it'd be more fun to discuss on the podcast. <laughs> so thank you. I tried. <laughs> I mean, I I understood from context that it was a positive thing, uh-huh. at least in the mind of the person who said it. So I was just curious. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I will say my least favorite episode was The Ghost of Illyria yeah. for two reasons. One is, number one, has been this character that has been in beta canon for decades. And there have been theories about whether or not she's even human. And I was disappointed to find out three episodes into the entire series that she isn't. I thought that would would have been something that they would keep in their back pocket longer. See, that was something from Beta Canon that she's Illyrian. Oh, I'm. I didn't know that specifically. I'm not surprised to learn so, that, but I still thought that's cool. I think it's neat when they pull from Beta Canon, like the animated series, which they've done often. But I just thought that they would make us wait longer to find out why. How about this then? Why do you okay? Do you did you feel like they should have waited, I or or that they like what was a disappointment? Or was it disappointment or you thought they needed to wait for some reason? Well, consider when we found out that Bashir was genetically enhanced. That happened several seasons into Deep Space Nine, and I thought that really added a lot of depth to a character who we thought we already knew, and it also cast previous episodes in a new light. And by telling us this about Una so early, it does neither of those things. Did you? So you were expecting that going into the show? No, I I was exp- I I didn't expect specifically to find out Una's race or species, but I thought that if we were to find out, it would not be immediately. And so you wanted to have. Uh, so the question is like a uh, president said, uh, to, uh, question is not questioning. Um, and so, uh, so it's like, you would have wanted them to do a bunch of stuff and then go, aha, we could change her, uh, in a few episodes or seasons. We can make it. So, uh, we can add new context because the Bashir, they didn't know that he was going to be genetically engineered. They just made that up well into the show. Hmm. And so like, you wanted them, I mean, like you kind of like wanted them to have a really cool character, and then you could have a moment a few years from now and go, aha, for another character? I think I prefer it when the directors or the writers know going into the series what who the characters are, even if they don't tell us right away. Like, take, for example, Firefly, which I know didn't run for very long, but Shepard Book. Like, mm-hmm. they hinted at things about him that we never found out the truth about. And I expect that had the show continued, we would not have found out until at least season three. And I, I preferred that approach to parceling out these morsels, these secrets. Gotcha. Yeah. See, I was like, okay, cool. I get to find more about my cool, my favorite character. So, But also, I think my re- reaction was exacerbated by the fact that that's the same episode where we found out about Dr. Mbenga's daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is the only... I just felt like it was too many character secrets being revealed in one episode. So like one is the right amount. I think so. <laughs> uh, uh, this is again, not me picking on you. This is me uh, trying to pull something out from that. Um, see, but for me, the only thing about Mbenga's daughter being in there is like, there's been no mention or illusion. like, it feels like, it felt like in that episode, they're going to make it a bigger thing. And we've only been two episodes since then. So it's not been a lot of time. But like we saw, we've seen them using that transporter since. We've seen the power go out and momentum of Mori. You know, like it felt like there's something that they were like, so this is totally my expectation because clearly she's okay in there. She's hiding. Uh, and so we, so we don't need to worry about her. And he doesn't just pull her out to see, hey, are you okay? Are all your ones and zeros still there? Um, it's like, so clearly her her little checkoffs thing is okay for now. We don't need to worry about it until we're told to, but it doesn't mean I don't think about it. That's like the only thing I think about between episodes is like, well, is she okay? Like even the gum 
scene in Spock Amok, like, like reflavoring the gum, um, which is really funny. But uh, I, I was thinking about like, is she going to appear? Like, what's going to happen? What? Uh, so yeah, it's not something I need an answer to. And I don't expect one, but it's always on my mind, um, specifically because they made it seem like it's going to be something that matters. Yeah, I, that's that is an accurate description to how I approach a lot of Star Trek. Like it raises a lot of questions, and I'm okay with questions. For example, we saw in the fourth season of Discovery the entire crew go into the transporter buffer to avoid radiation, and we saw, of course, Sp- Scotty do that in the Relics episode from TNG, and now we've seen Mbenga's daughter do it. But not more often than that. And you would think that if this was a valid medical practice to like prevent uh, people from progressing in their condition until they're able to get to a safe place, we would see it more often. And we haven't. And I'm sure that there are risks or concerns, you know, like if the power goes out, of course, but... It seems like it should be a valid emergency option. Uh, and maybe it's one of those things that happens off air uh, uh, more often, you know. Uh, Nothing important right. ever happens right. off air. Otherwise, it would be an episode. Like, uh, like, all those, like I remember in the uh, John Scalzi book, Red Shirts, people were um, like, isn't it weird how we- stuff happens on the ship only like every Saturday? <laughs> That's like uh, my D&D crew. I'm playing a campaign right now. It's a pre-written one. Uh, the place takes place at his college. And of course, all the events are written to happen to the party. And one of them made a comment. It's like, isn't it weird? Like, everything only happens to us? Like, does this kind of stuff happening to everybody else? And um, the next week, taking their words and turning around back at them, I had some of the professors go, some of the p- professors are questioning, like, why you're always the one who <laughs> these events are happening to, kind of like in Harry Potter. Well, she said, like, why is it always you three? Um right. Uh, and they got so offended when I turned their words back on them. Like, I can't believe they'd accuse us of this. I'm like, they didn't say accusing. They were curious. And they're like, oh, yeah. my God. I'm like, last week you guys just said. It. And now. <laughs> I really? remember I had a Shakespeare professor in college. And I had just finished reading. I forget the name of the book. Uh, it's the TNG episode or TNG book where they go to the mirror universe. And at one point, our Captain Picard is in the mirror Captain Picard's quarters and he finds the Shakespeare novel Merchant of Venice and he picks it up and he reads a page from it. And it's like, it's mirror Shakespeare. And so I brought it to my Shakespeare professor and I showed it to her. Is it everything happy and everything's good and everything? <laughs> no, it was, I, I don't remember Shakespeare that well, but it was like uh, a, a pound of flesh for a pound of flesh or something. <laughs> I never read that particular play. I'm uh-huh. sorry, but I brought it to her and she found that, that passage from merchant of Venice fascinating, but she was also like, I don't understand. Is this the novelization of an episode? And I'm like, no, it's an entirely new adventure. She's like, but it was a TV show. The TV show is not based on a book. Is it? I'm like, no, this is its own adventure. She's like, I don't understand. <laughs> like where where does this story come from she said i was like well you know how the enterprise goes on adventure every saturday so like there are six other days in the week and these books show what happened in between the tv shows <laughs> that's the best way i could think of to explain it she's like huh i never thought of that <laughs> like, she just thought the enterprise went right from one mission one to the next and there Not was like nothing discovery <laughs> <laughs> right right Oh. Uh, so yeah, um, so Children of the Comet. Yes, I, I saw a video clip of them actually. Like, I I thought the person the the people who were protecting the comet all this time, they're they're, I thought it was all CGI CGI, but it turned out no, it's actually a person under there. They actually had a a set, you know, like a headpiece for him with some CGI adjustments afterwards. But I was impressed by that. I thought huh. it was all CGI. Um. Uh, yeah, it's just like I saw the name here. It made me think of that because that was just really impressive to me. Oh, you know what? I had forgotten what they looked like. So I just did a Google image search. And when you were talking about it, I was like, gee, I don't remember them being CGI. But now I looked them up. I was like, oh, yeah, I totally did think that was CGI. Yeah. Huh. I might have done some touch-ups here. But yeah, for the most part, totally real. <laughs> like makeup. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Um, uh, although, although actually, you know what, let me, let me ask you this, even though we are of like mind, why is it cool that it's a real person and not CGI? Uh, to me, this has been a discussion lately in online as well, the CGI versus practical. Um, Cause CGI kind of gets a bad rap. Uh, and, and this came up because of Thor love and thunder and how like, even helmets on people's heads this looks is CGI and it's very obvious in the commercials. Hmm. Um, and so that's where the discussion started because sometimes the CGI done poorly can make something look terrible. Look at Hulkbuster at the end of part one of Infinity War, whatever the first end game, whatever the first one of those two. It looked terrible with CGI Mark Rappa's head bouncing around on top of it. Um and so CGI can take people take people out of the scene. Bad CGI. And so, um, and I've always kind of like appreciated it. And just personally, because I grew up in the 80s and 90s, I like the practical effects. Not that CGI is bad. And so um, I'm not saying it. So I was just surprised that this was actually practical because I was expecting they just put so much CG in Star Trek these days because it's yeah. cheaper. And so I was surprised to see it wasn't. Because mm. it had that look, right? It looked uncanny. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so well, was, well yeah. this reminds me of the new Rescue Rangers movie when they found themselves in the valley. <laughs> that was such a great one. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, that's the, the uncanny valley. Uh, referencing where CGI were from like the mid 2000s, early 2000s. I kind of think Shrek, uh, where uh, anime figures didn't, or, or even the Final Fantasy movie. Yeah, uh, where figures don't look like they're quite looking at what they're supposed to be looking at, or they don't have all the expressions and emotions that you can do now. Yep, with their computer power. I, I just want to say one more thing about that movie, Rescue Rangers. I one of, one of my favorite things about that movie was how many forms of animation they used. <laughs> like you could have in one scene a hand drawn cartoon character, a CGI character, claymation, and a puppet all interacting with each other. It was fantastic. Uh, that, that was just technically impressive. I'm not even, I mean, I loved the plot too, but the technical impressiveness was very memorable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you haven't seen it and uh, Rescue Rangers is a lot of fun. Uh, yes. If you like the original. Show. Yeah. The new Disney plus movie is great, <laughs> but Star Trek. <laughs> um, yep. Star Trek. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, for real though. Um, Spock and Muck, um, most recent episode, just mm-hmm. came out yesterday. Uh, the the Freaky Friday was so much fun. <laughs> I gotta say, when they first found themselves in that dilemma, I rolled my eyes because I'm like, this is such a typical 80s sitcom plot and there's no explanation for why it happened and we'll never get one. And just like Turnabout Intruder. Uh, Kirk and... Um, oh, that woman, right? Yeah, they switch bodies because, you know, like, there's a machine or whatever like that because she's going to become the first woman captain because that yeah. wasn't allowed back then. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't mean I didn't enjoy the hijinks that ensued. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But when it first happened, I was like, really? We're going there? <laughs> uh, here, I thought it was. I got a kick out of what it is. Like, this feels so original series in the best way possible that I loved it. Um, That's uh, a good way to put what, it. I hadn't thought of that. What is her name? Who? Thing. uh gia sandhu gaia gaia gia g-i-a is that the actor or the character Act- that's the actress who plays to bring oh to bring yeah okay um it just does a phenomenal job and she is now the definitive to bring she has played to bring more than to bring the original actor has so <laughs> that's impressive now clearly we know from the benefit of having watched other star trek that those two characters don't end up together that's true and it's in I'm curious to see how that comes to pass. Uh, you, mm, I don't know if you're going to see it in Strange New Worlds. Do I need to go back to TOS to see it? Uh, it's kind of like a. It was a long thing over TOS and the movies, the films. And, oh, okay. But uh, I mean, I mean, basically, spoilers for uh, if you haven't watched it 50 years ago. Uh, in Nurse Chapel and Spock clearly have emotions for each other. I see. I I never knew that until this podcast. Gotcha. Like I knew it from the pilot episode of Strange New Worlds, mm-hmm. but I I didn't know it. Well, I knew it was one sided at least in Strange New Worlds. I didn't know there was anything in TOS to back that up. 
Yeah, uh, the Nurse Chapel is be- is a bisexual disaster for Spock right now. Uh, <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, Ortega's over here s- smoothly trying to softly see if she wants to go on a date as well. <laughs> Very softly, gentle poking. At least in my interpretation. Wait, I'm sorry. Who who did you just say is a disaster by? Uh, no, a chapel is bisexual. Or okay. So at one point in Spockamock, that's uh-huh. what I that was my reading of the character as well. But then later on in that same episode, she said it would have to be the right guy. Uh-huh. And I took guy to be a gendered term. She's had relationships with women, so she's bi. Yeah, but I would have expected her to say it would have to be the right person. Uh so she didn't. She can prefer men, but date both. I mean, it's it's all about queer energy, how you present yourself. And here, yeah, she did say at the end she had to be the right guy. Doesn't mean she doesn't appreciate women. Maybe okay. maybe for that character, she sees herself with a guy uh, if she actually does settle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, queerness is a very very uh, moldy, slimy thing. <laughs> That is not how I would describe it. Uh, it goes all over the place. It can mold and squish and and um, moldable, slimy, squishy thing in the most beautiful of ways. It, was, it is nuanced and multifaceted. That oh, works too. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I, I love the character of Nurse Chapel. So I said, Yeah. I... I I love how when she is good at something, she comes across as very confident. She has a grin on her face. She'll run through the ship and do something that she loves. And she boasts about, you don't have to tell me how good I am. But when she's unsure about something, she lets you know that too. She doesn't put on fake bluster. You know, it's not like she has a fragile ego and is unwilling to admit when she doesn't know what's going on or what to do next. So it's this this wonderful dichotomy that shows both confidence and fragility and i don't mean that like in a feminine sense i just mean like we're all fragile we're all humans and we all break really easily <laughs> and uh, her as a medical professional is very aware of that uh yeah uh the, we, the range we've seen on her is probably some of the most development we've seen on any of the characters so far uh, yes uh, and i just love her for it mm-hmm. oh i want to see more dr mbenga um something's gonna happen Maybe his daughter is related where uh, he's no longer CMO. Hmm. Because yeah, because here, but he's not when McCoy is there. So Right. He's still on the Enterprise, but he's not chief. Yeah. Hmm. And maybe nothing happens. Maybe uh, McCoy just outranks him yep. uh, at that point in whatever sense that might mean. So chief medical officer just means the one in charge. Doesn't mean that you're better or, or you got demoted either. It just means like, yeah, so... Uh, but I, I want to see more of him because I get a kick out of him and his warmness. Uh, uh, he's just such a fun guy. <laughs> yeah, I like his hat. <laughs> oh, my God. That was a great little quip at the beginning of the <laughs> transporter room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he mentions the nickname and Una's like, what? <laughs> yeah. And Chapel's like, mm-mm. mm-mm. <laughs> now, another character I want to say, I love... Is his name Ethan Peck, who plays mm-hmm. Spock? Yeah. I, I, I love the character, and I, lo- I think the actor's doing a great job. But it's very hard for me to see him as a character who grows up to be Leonard Nimoy. Really? Like this, I, I almost see this as just a different Spock, a different character. And that's fine. It doesn't like dilute it for me. But I just, like, I, I try to... I also just watched the motion picture in theaters last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the first time I'd seen it since before TNG premiered. I wish I would have known before you would post it afterwards. Cause I could have like gotten you prepared for it. How would you have done that? Uh, Cause I did this for Char as well. It's like motion picture is an experience more than anything else. It's a visual experience. Um, because if you've seen anything else since then, like it's a very slow movie. It is very slow, but it is a two-hour episode. A two-hour episode of original series. It is um, just like uh, Insurrection is for TNG. Um, But the way this is presented, it's a visual experience. It's um, And you just take it for what it is. 
uh, motion picture. And a lot of people have hard trouble with that. So, Well, I was somewhat prepared for that in two ways. One is I was aware that this movie came out around 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I've also seen. And that movie has more moments of silence than it does of dialogue. And so I understood that um, the motion picture was largely influenced by that as well. And also the episode The Changeling from TOS is practically the same plot as the motion uh-huh. picture. And how some people have said uh, Star Trek, where Nomad has gone before. <laughs> uh-huh. So I, I was not disappointed or surprised by the motion picture. And I had seen it before and I did remember some things, but this was probably like the, the last time I saw the, this movie, which was also the first time I'd seen it was probably my introduction to all these characters. I'd probably never seen Spock or Kirk before the motion picture. Wow. And so now, and so now I'm seeing it really knowing who these characters are. And so I have this very recent impression of Leonard Nimoy just coming out of the colonar or having not taken it to purge himself of all his emotions, very cold, very stoic. And then I, go from that to watching Ethan Peck sitting across from Jess Bush at the dinner table, getting smacked upside the head while asking for relationship advice. Uh, and, th- and that just seems very different for me. Well, it is because he's much younger here, right? Um, uh, he's much younger. He's got to learn all those things to get to that point. And, and his experiences between now and uh, end of the original series uh, lead him to think like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go through this culinary thing. Um, he's so young now. Like even in Q and A, when it's um short track, he is smiling and beaming when he comes onto the Enterprise. Uh, something we don't see, and he's sitting here shouting, um, to Una, um, as a cadet. Like mm-hmm. it was, or Ensign, whatever it was at that point. Um, yep, a very different young Spock. And so, see, I I I like seeing this journey of how he turns into molds into this to who we get in um Star Trek two thousand nine. That journey. Hmm. He goes from this young, happy Spock to someone who tries to contain and hold his feelings to someone who dies for loving loving Captain Kirk and then is brought back to life, <laughs> has him to relearn everything. And then um, he becomes like an ambassador and helps, tries to reunify uh, Romulus and Vulcan to... Uh, he retires from being an ambassador, tries to save Romulus, believing this at the end so hard, and he ends up going to an alternate dimension, and so much in love with his friend Kirk, that he helps an alternate dimension Kirk and Spock become friends and continue on that legacy. Like, oh, it's beautiful, and I, I really, so I like seeing that journey and what young Spock was before we even saw him in the original series. Hmm. Thank you for recapping Spock's life. It's that's a useful context because it reminds me that the Spock we're seeing now is in some ways similar to very old Spock. It's almost like there's it's almost like a bell curve where he goes from being emotional to being dry to being emotional again. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder what motivates that hump in the middle. Because in the canceled pilot with captain pike he was laughing and or not oh. laughing smiling when he was touching the flower and i don't recall when or where i read this maybe it was an episode maybe it was a book but he said that the reason he smiled was because he was trying harder to fit in with a human crew and maybe that was just an excuse that he was giving because he didn't want people to think he actually was human well there you go new context this is one who does not have those life experiences yet who's still struggling with his trying to be vulcan we even saw it here in this episode um, Spock and Muck of him yep. worrying that he wasn't Vulcan enough for his fiance. Which reminded me of Superman three. When we saw Superman fighting Clark Kent. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a neat, uh, way to open this week's episode of Spock and Muck because, you know, we're supposed to see the human Spock in that dream as the Spock being attacked by the Vulcan, at least that's how it was originally portrayed to me. But then I thought, no, both of these are equally valid interpretations of this character. Like one could kill the other and it's no better than the other killing the one. Mm-hmm. It's not a two Vix situation here. <laughs> two Vix. Oh gosh. 
I mean, Tuvix was a selfish one here trying to say that Tuvok and Neelix. Uh, oh, wait, let's not talk about that. Um, I did a one- whole episode of that with Scott McNulty. I'm, <laughs> I'm good. I've gotten out everything I needed to say. We have not talked much about Captain Pike. And his hair. I love Captain Pike. I guess that means I also love his hair. But I, I love him so much as a captain. I loved him in Discovery Season 2. And I love him here. He is so warm. So ready to listen to his crew and listen to their weird outbursts. Like Otegas. Like, all right, dive, dive, dive into the ball. <laughs> swirling ball of death. <laughs> like, he gets that thing, huh? <laughs> yeah, I remember in Discovery when he showed up, he was like, hey, maybe we'll have some fun along the way. And he's consistent with that. Like even I loved in Children of the Comet when he was asking for ideas and he got one. And he said, "I like this idea. This is a good idea. Let's do it." It's not what I said. <laughs> oh, that was that was the moment. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Although he does have breath to him at the end of Memento Mori when he's calling down for Hammer and Ahura in the docking bay, and there's no response, and he very stoically send, says to send a recovery crew. And then they chime in. They say, we're still here. And he just, he doubles over, puts his hands on his knees and takes a deep breath. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of when Burnham thought that book had died at the end of uh, season four and how she cried at first, but then she went right back into being the captain, which you and I have talked about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in thi- and in this, we, Kirk didn't even let the emotion show initially, you know, but he, but he was holding it in. And it wasn't until he found out that they were safe that he could show his human side. Yeah, like, like we know Uhura was going to be fine as viewers. So that scene wasn't about her, wasn't about Hammer. It was all showing Pike's emotion. Right. And his reaction to him, because he doesn't know. He hasn't seen all these episodes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he knows his future. He doesn't know everybody else's. Mm-hmm. Um. I've liked that. They haven't touched on it much. We actually haven't seen a whole bunch of Pike outside of Memento Mori and uh, the first episode here and there. But like the show has been a lot more about the crew than him almost. He um, was also a lot of the children of the comic because that episode was about knowing your future. Yeah, so it's about uh, just over half. But he hasn't been a major part is what I'm trying to get to. Like as much as um, like Burnham is or. Yes. Is. They allow the crew room to breathe and have adventures as well. And I think that's great. Um, but, but Pike is always there to help and support them in any way he can. Was he wearing Captain Green this week? He was wearing it. And do you think that's only for like formal wear? Oh, I don't know the answer to that, but it was a total, it was just an intentional nod to Kirk's green uniform, occasional green uniform in TOS. Oh yeah. yeah let's put that here. Okay. It, it was, it was absolutely that. I'm just wondering if it's going to be a thing going forward. I switch interchange, whatever happens, whatever the the costume designer gives you that week is what Kirk wore. <laughs> there have been so many Starfleet costumes. Every show has its own uniform, Every and yet and yet they're all the same Starfleet. Yep. <laughs> Maybe Amazing. you know the fashion designers of the future uh, are just very prolific, and they like to give everyone a little, little bit, <laughs> a little chance at it. Sure, why not? Hey, it's it's. What, what do you think we should do differently? Knock yourself out. What if we make this color more bold here and over in this? You know, like yeah. <gasps> brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. So another thing I questioned was when they revealed that number one is Illyrian, which means that she has been genetically enhanced. This means we have two genetically enhanced people on the bridge. I'm. I didn't expect them to have that many. Usually, like we knew going in that uh, Khan was going, or sorry, not Khan, Noonien Singh <laughs> was going to be genetically enhanced. And then number one was like, oh yeah, me too. Do we know she is? Who? Are you implied? La'an. I mean, technically, you're, you're right. She is descended from somebody who's genetically enhanced. She herself is not. So she might be, you might not, but she just has the legacy. Yes. And also... Okay, I thought I missed something. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think you did. Uh, but she, she did point out that, like, with a name like mine, you get made fun of a lot as a kid or whatever. If that's the only thing that she was getting made fun of, I mean, I, I, if she is not, pr- do you think she's proud of her last name? Let me start there. She's never, gi- she's not giving me any indication that she is proud of it. Yeah, me neither. 
But I'm wondering, like, if she is, if she doesn't want to be associated with that. Like, I, I know people who grow up and they never really had a close connection with their parents. And they don't want to have, like, especially if their parents uh, got divorced. And they're like, I don't want to have my dad's last name anymore. He's not even part of the family anymore. So they changed their last name. So if she feels that way about Khan, her ancestor, I could imagine that she could change her last name and not be so obviously descended from someone who caused a eugenics war. So I'm I'm impressed that she has held on to the name is what I'm saying. Uh, she has told, showed us in multiple episodes that she doesn't care what others think. There's that. Uh, or at least that's what she, that's her cover story anyway. Yeah. Uh, so to me, it's like it's not surprising. But you're right; a lot of people do. I mean, there's still people who are related to Hitler out there. Yeah, that's true. So, um, I don't know. I I honestly don't remember. I've read about him before, but I don't remember if they kept the name or changed it. I think they've changed it, but uh, they exist out there still. Yeah. Um, and I think some of our even live here in the U.S. somewhere. But yeah. in any case, like yeah, but, but in her case, Laon, she's like, I don't care what anyone thinks. Whether she's lying to herself, I'm guessing with that. But um, yeah, she has some things to work out still. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, again, this is one of those disconnects where what I would do in a situation is different from what somebody else would do uh, because she seems very good at putting up that barrier, that shell, or simply not caring or being as influenced. Whereas me, it's not that I want to be loved and accepted, but I really don't want to be hated. <laughs> you know, like, like if I was ever subjected to the kind of internet hate that some people get, I wouldn't sleep for weeks. You know, I, I can't just turn off the computer and walk away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so kudos to her for being made of sterner stuff than I am. <laughs> Uh, I love number one's like being a caretaker mother figure for her. Uh, I love that relationship. And even like at the end when they're signing their names on um, the deck of the plating, uh, like holding the back of her arm as they watch the solar ship fly by. Like, oh, it's just beautiful and sweet. Is that the but first time we've seen a solar ship since DS9? Yes. Awesome. I like that. Uh, the bar, the bar, bar, well, what was bar gen? I don't remember what the remor, not remoran. Um, uh, not, no, bar gen was the Vulcan. Um, who they talk the, about the lucky barge and discovery. Uh, the people who had the, um, solar ship, remote, whatever they were. Um, I love their little bit of, they try to empathize with you. And so they yes. act like you. And Pike figured it out. Like, I kind of figured it out, too. The Rongovians. Yeah, Rongovians. Thank you. Ron. <laughs> That's what I think about. <laughs> like, sure. Put an apostrophe anywhere. Do they, like, ask you, like, where do you put the apostrophe? But anyway, um, I got a kick out of that. I kind of figured it out, too. Uh, I was surprised that April hadn't. But, like, when you're seeing them angry yelling at the... Um, Tellarites, yeah. Yeah, the Tellarites. Uh, and then all of a sudden, they're like, being very logical with Spock. And I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing right away. Uh, or, or being, being very warm with um, once they were doing the logical thing, that's when it hit me because they were yeah. being very warm and friendly with uh, Christopher. When you said when you said it hit you, like you figured it out, uh -huh. did did you come to the same conclusion Pike did? Yeah. Huh. So when Pike told them, "Oh, I, I don't think you should join the Federation," you knew what he was doing. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Well, kudos to you for being made of smarter stuff than I am. <laughs> no, I just figured it out. It's not necessarily smarter. Uh, I know. Uh, you were with you were with Admiral April, who did not catch it. Who now that actor is now the definitive version, and instead of James Doohan as uh, Admiral April. Well, Robert April only appeared in one animated show, right? Yep. So now we've seen him twice, and so now we have a person who has been him more. <laughs> I remember the person who created that character for the animated series. He's on Twitter, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but he tweeted, he's like, 47 years ago, I created Robert April for an animated series. Tonight, I get to see him come to life. Ah, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who who anticipates their work having that kind of effect? Like, a couple of years ago, somebody took a BBS door game, if you know what that is, that I wrote back in 95, and they sent me a screenshot of it running on Telnet. Like they had modified the code to run over the internet instead of dial up. 
And this was 25 years later on an Apple II. And I didn't expect that. It didn't have the sort of profound effect that Robert April has already <laughs> being seen by millions of people. Who knows if anybody will ever play my game. But it was still nonetheless to think, wow, I did something 25 years ago and somebody else is aware of it and working with it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of neat to have a, you know, Picard says, I'm not a man who needs a legacy. Well, too bad, Picard, because you have one. <laughs> and kudos to you for earning it. Oh, I found out why you when before when around the time Major Major Barrett died. Major Barrett Roddenberry. Uh there was talk about her recording the voice so they could use it in the future, but we haven't really haven't really heard it since then. Uh turns out that they discovered that there's a lot of syllables missing still. That, so they couldn't really reasonably use it. But since then, technology and um, deep fake voicing has gotten improved. So they might be able to again at some point in the future if they ever choose to. Uh, just a random time. Because I think we talked about this in the past. And that's why it made me think of it now. The only concern that I might be aware of is it might be cheaper to just hire a sound alike. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, I, um, I'm just, I, I think I'm just kind of bringing something full circle. I think we talked about like maybe sometime in the last five years. Yes. Uh, and I just, something, something sparked my memory as I was looking through the cast list. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and the last person we really haven't talked about much is Ortegas. Yes. I love so yes. much. Ortegas is so much fun. And I'm very gay for her. <laughs> yeah. We need, I'm sure we will get one, an episode about her because. Oh yeah. She's got to do her little swashbuckle thing swashbuckle uh in the preview there's her uh doing a fencing thing or sword fighting oh i don't know context beyond that <laughs> but i'm like cool i'm ready <laughs> i don't think i knew that i will be keeping an eye out for that but yeah she is clearly not disrespectful that's not the word i'm looking for but not 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 non-traditional but like she I love the way she speaks to the captain. I love the way she hazed Uhura. I love um, the way when Uhura showed up and Pike laughed. Uh-huh. I like gotcha. I, Yeah. Ha <laughs> uh-huh, ha. Uh-huh, dress uniform. Come on in. Informal. Mm, mm-hmm. Informal. I think, is that the word you're looking for? Yes, I think it is. Thank you. Um, I like how informal Ortegas is. Yeah, she's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, I mean, clearly young and still gets nervous, especially but when they're about you know, the life-threatening situation with the Gorm, who I love their ships and the way they act, by the way. Um, I love that blinking communication thing. Um, but yeah, uh, I get a kick out of her little fly gal attitude. Oh, speaking of the Gorn, when they showed the code for their light signals, I paused it because, well, actually, at first I'd rewind it because when they first showed it, the only letter I saw was H. And there are two letters, only two letters I know in Morse code, and they're H and I. Uh-huh. Oh, it's and, right. And the H in Gorn is the same as in Morse. Oh, that was totally so, pretty evil. So, I, well, I, I'm like, I rewound it. I was like, wait, they, the Gorn aren't actually using Morse code, are they? So I rewound it. I paused that frame, looked at all the letters. It's not Morse code. Like okay. that one letter just happens to be exactly the same. <laughs> Might be based on maybe they change a bunch of dots or whatever like that. Or could it be, it probably was one of the things they wanted for people who do pause it. It's like, oh. I mean, there were some letters that were similar to Morse, but that was the only one that was identical. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, with the first episode um, of Strange New Worlds, called Strange New Worlds, um, the, one of the guys who worked on the show did a translation. Because uh, at the end of the episode, or, or even in number one's um, cell, there was text in the background uh, written in chalk. And then um, at the end, when they showed them, like, after the discovery that other people live are in the universe, there's aliens in the universe that had, like, medical diagrams and things like that or technical diagrams they translated all the things and it was just a fun little neat like thing like they actually made up all the quote-unquote language it was one of the symbol means symbol thing but it was kind of fun just to see this little thing and your your most morse code type thing made me think of that were there any interesting messages hidden in that episode uh the first one was the most something like how the government is going to kill us all or something like that with their (laughs) war you know something like that like these people who are uh it was a government protest uh, scrawling the rest were all just technical things like dorsal fin or so very similar to the world that we now find ourselves in yes awesome parallel development 
Gotta love it. Uh, Uhura. We haven't really talked a lot about Uhura, but uh, I like seeing this younger version of her as she's learning things. And I like that little bit at the beginning of, you know, the hazing was fun. But um, finding her place in the world and also kind of adding some context for her engineering knowledge in the later series. Um, and her singing. We know we know she can sing because she does that in the original series. Um, things like that. And so kind of like seeing some background, tying it in without like saying, hitting over the head, saying, bam, bam, here is the exact explanation for this one episode, three season two episode, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Our friend TJ is a filmmaker. And one of the things he taught me is that the way you show somebody else's capability isn't by demonstrating it themselves, but by showing how other people react to it. And the example he gave me was in Avengers Endgame, when uh, Thanos' ship is raining fire on all the people on the ground, because that's where all the superheroes are, like dozens and dozens of Marvel superheroes. And then the fire stops raining, and they redirect all the cannons at Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel hasn't even shown up yet. Uh-huh. And at that point, it doesn't matter what she does because what you know about Captain Marvel is being told to you by how Thanos' ship is reacting. Yes. And I've yes. since I've since seen this in other shows now that TJ's made me aware of it, like in the movie Nobody. I won't go into detail, but I thought that was a fun film. Kind of the same thing here, uh, where it's not like Uhura is impressing us all by rapidly switching languages and translating when we need translation. Uh, this is not quite on the same scale as what I just described in th- uh, the Marvel movie, but when Pike says, I understand you know 12 languages, and she says, actually, it's 37. <laughs> and all the conversation in the room stops, and they all turn and look at her. And like, without that, you might just think, oh, 37, that's cool. Uh-huh. But when you see how other people react, and you're like, like oh, <laughs> oh, that that's even in the future, that's a lot. And so yeah. I, th- I thought that was a really memorable moment, clearly. I, I love those things that someone points out to you that when you see it, it adds to like, oh, and just like that, uh, like how everyone else reacts. Yeah. Yeah. I will drop a link in the show notes for this episode on transportlock.com, a link to the scene in Nobody. Uh, it's in the tattoo parlor. If you've seen the movie, it's that scene. Uh, it's just, it's it really shows you how dangerous the main character is. And all he's doing is standing there. He's not throwing (laughs) punches. He's not holding weapons. It's just how other people are reacting to him. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah. Anything else about strange new worlds? Uh, I mean, I've I've already said everything. I love it. I, I am enjoying this so much. And I look very much forward to the next five episodes. And we're already half done. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. disappointing. There's only ten episodes. I think that's my disappointment with the series. Yeah, I mean, you and I are recording this on June third, and the show premiered on May fifth. So it's been less than a month, and we're already half done. Sad. That's less than a month. Yeah. Uh, one other thing, not about Strange New Worlds, but about Star Trek. I walked into the post office yesterday wearing my gay Starfleet logo shirt. Mm-hmm. And the mail clerk from whom I was buying stamps said, oh, Starfleet, huh? And I thought it was interesting that he said Starfleet and not Star Trek, because clearly he understood what the logo represented. And I said, oh, I said to him, oh, you a Star Trek fan? He's like, I'm not just a fan. I have its tattoos all over my body. (laughs) And I said, "Mm, I'm not going to ask you where. He's like, no, you can. I was like, (laughs) okay, where? And he rolls up his sleeve and he has some logos tattooed on his upper arm. And then he goes on to say that before he was a postal clerk, he was a makeup artist. And the company that he worked for put in a bid to work on Deep Space Nine. (laughs) And unfortunately, uh, they were outbid or underbid. And so instead, he went and worked on two seasons of Stargate SG-1. Nice. Now, I did not happen to catch his name badge. So Mm -hmm. I looked up in the IMDb, and there are makeup people for SG-1 listed there. None of the names ring a bell because I don't know what this guy's name was. But uh, if I, well, he did say, I asked him what he thought about the new Star Treks. And he said that he loves the character of Michael Burnham. And he wishes that the other characters she interacts with were written as well as she is. 
and he doesn't feel that that's the case. Uh Yeah. But you said, uh, when you started that story, you were saying like, (laughs) when you asked him that, you're going to say, not only am I Starfleet, I'm a member or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also the president. Yeah. (laughs) Um. No, I've had the pleasure of interacting with a variety of postal clerks because uh, I go to the post office quite often, sometimes buying literally thousands of dollars worth of stamps for some of my other endeavors. And they all have interesting life stories. They've all done very different things. <laughs> and this person happened to be a Stargate makeup artist. That's amazing. Yeah, small world. <laughs> Well, then, I think that's the end for this episode. We will be back to talk about episodes six through ten In sometime. Five weeks. Yeah, the tenth and final episode of this season airs on July 7th. So we will be chatting sometime in July. That's the next planned episode of Transport Lock. Who knows what might happen between now and then, but yeah. And in the meantime, listeners can look forward to next week's episode Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach. Where we belong. Which sounds more like a discovery <laughs> title as opposed to Spockamock, which is a very fun name for this week's very fun episode. It sounds like an 80s song to me. Spockamock. Where we belong. Oh, lift us up where uh, suffering cannot reach. Yes. <laughs> Except it's a little bit darker, maybe. Far cool. Away. All right. Sabriel, remind our listeners where they can find you on t- the internets. At Dame Sabriel or Sabriel.gay. Love it. <laughs> Links to those are in our bios at transporterlock.com. I'm at GameBits. And of course, at Transporterlock is our podcast Twitter account. Until next time. Hit it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. And keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at Transporterlock. Or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com. <laughs>